Welcome to IO Talks, your source for real talks with real builders in the blockchain and IoT industry. I'm your host, Larry. Blockchain is revolutionizing the way we think about data. Over 90% of the world's data has been created in the past few years, with much of that being generated by the Internet of Things. To make use of this data on blockchain, we need to store and organize this data efficiently and openly. So how will future blockchain networks manage their data in a decentralized fashion? How will IoT data be stored, tagged, and protected? We discuss these questions and more with our guest, Pavel Baines from Bluezell. Please enjoy. Hey everyone, I'm here with Pavel, co-founder and CEO at Bluezell. They're the distributed open source database service. Welcome, Pavel. Hey Larry, thanks for inviting me on to IoT Talks. Absolutely. So yeah, today we're talking about the past, present, and future of databases. Uh, but before we get started, you know, everyone in the blockchain industry has their own kind of unique story. Um, how did you dive down this rabbit hole, Pavel? Yeah, it was about four years ago. We were I was sitting around and I came traditionally from the digital media gaming space and friends of mine were just talking about Bitcoin and it was because they were payment gateway for certain websites mm-hmm. and they just talked about that they're starting to get that people are asking about Bitcoin and as I'd already heard it beforehand and so then I said hey let me read up about this stuff mm-hmm. and uh, like you said once you start reading something about Bitcoin about the distributed nature finance economics you know distributed computing basic stuff that you know a bunch of us went to school for and found interesting it was like well it's all tied into one product mm-hmm. and then it's like okay what's the underlying technology behind it and that's when blockchain started becoming known as kind of the word mm-hmm. and uh, you started like well this thing really works. It's going to do some crazy things. Yeah, I got into this, and that was really what kickstarted it. Right. So just the genuine interest from the technical side, uh, and also the kind of the Bitcoin uh, bonanza that was going on uh, back in the day. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So I mean, today again, we're going to be talking about the past, present, and future of databases. But before we dive into some of the complex and you know advanced things at Bluezell. Let's kick it off with some very basic fundamentals about databases. So, you know, how would you explain what a database is to a beginner? Yeah, so anybody, let's say if I was talking to my kids, it'd be, hey, you know, a database is just a set of tables where we store information. So maybe it's a person's, my kid would be like, hey, it's your first name, last name, what soccer team you're on, what school you go to, mm-hmm. and it's somewhere. Now, instead of me always going back to that table to write it, this is a technology solution where we can quickly search a list of all those names and saying, hey, who are all the eight to nine-year-olds in Singapore that play soccer? And it would bring up as a, and it'd filter out everybody else. Mm-hmm. So really, it's just a large collection of data that organized in a way that is easily retrievable. Right. So anytime we're on our mobile apps or on our computers, we make like a, a, a transaction or something, you know, that data is talking to other data somewhere in a database and uh, is also being stored there as well. That's right. So if we're making just even a simple payment, right, mm-hmm. it's got to look up, hey, who's a payer? Pavel goes up, looks up, that's authenticated, the bank is here, all that information is there, and they can just basically make that request to do what the application needs to do with that data. Right, absolutely. So this kind of concept of a physical storage space and the table structure uh, has kind of been implemented in a lot of different approaches, right? In the 21st century, you know, we, we've evolved from really on-premises databases where it's fully managed by the owner to more cloud databases, and now uh, this concept of distributed databases. So you know, can you kind of talk us through 
how this evolution happened and what kind of technical and non-technical milestones really uh, have transformed this industry in the way it has. Yeah, I think it really comes down to one thing, and that is people are just becoming more specialized at what they want to do. Mm-hmm. So when you're on premise, you know, the technology was big. You needed to have somebody like a full IT person running the database, racks, mm-hmm. things like that. Now, as people started, and that was no matter what product you do, you could be like a payments company, a video game company, a radio company, like whatever it is. You, if you're doing something online or you're doing something in tech, you have to have that on-premise database. Mm-hmm. Now, what you're seeing is people just started becoming more specialized, saying, well, why, do we, why are we running all that in-house and being like an IT we're, we're, let's say we're an e-commerce company. Why am I also an IT company? So mm-hmm. the cloud kind of allowed us to push that away saying, hey, I don't need to rent, you know, I don't need to buy all these servers and take on this capital cost. If somebody else has already aggregated and we can just rent it for what we need and use, then that happens there. Um, so I think it's really about that specialization. And now you're moving to distributed as people are becoming even more specialized saying, well, cloud might not be so efficient because I have to guess we're always still playing catch up that if customers go somewhere else, we've got to deploy more instances. Maybe things become more managed and instances are already out there and self manage was kind of almost like what blockchain is. Mm-hmm. So now people can be more specialized because all we want to do is build their product, whether it's like I said, FinTech product, an IoT product, a gaming app, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. They don't want to run backends. Right, right. No, absolutely. And you know, I think let's touch upon all of those kind of things, like just explaining kind of the evolution here. So, you know, starting with these on-premises databases, you mentioned, you know, these are fully managed, like maybe this isn't really too relevant to, you know, some of the millennials nowadays, but, you know, back then there's always folks, you know, that require uh, someone to be managing the rack, someone physically at the data center in case the servers blow up. Um, and now, you know, all of that is fully managed by service providers like Google, for example, really triggered this movement from on-premises over to cloud. Yeah, I think when the the racks and the big computers were coming up were, you had to be a large company, huge capital expenditure. So you needed companies like IBM and Oracle who are servicing those. Mm-hmm. If you think about like when the internet really started blowing up about 20 years ago, more companies started moving online, more startups, even you know, from 2003 onwards, people started, startups actually started becoming a thing. And more, so you didn't want to really run those huge racks and need that. And so companies like ourselves, ourselves, you know, they were able to say, Hey, we can just rent this from the cloud and not worry about managing any of that stuff. So I think it was the switch was on premise still caters to those big, larger companies, but the smaller companies that are coming up or mid-size saying, well, we don't need that. And those, you know, current providers like Oracle and everybody else was almost too expensive or too, too much hands-on for us to run because we know the technology where AWS, Google, even Microsoft Cloud started saying, hey, okay, these guys already know enough. They can just kind of work with us. So I think it became, as technology became easier and the companies became smaller and leaner, they didn't need that constant handholding that the big on-premise companies needed. Right, so it's more about, you know, as you mentioned, uh, specialization, but also that flexibility to kind of, you know, pick and create their own bundles of, of services that they really need. Yeah, like, I mean, a good example is when we were, I was talking to guys I know who are still in the video gaming industry. And mm-hmm. they said, remember 10 years ago, we'd use like one or two, maybe like two or three middleware providers or outside sources to do things. Everything we built in-house. They go, now we're using like 25. Right. 
because it's like, why are we doing that? We should just focus on making the game. Yeah, exactly. You know, one thing I like to, you know, refer back to is this, you know, good framework by Union Square Ventures around kind of the dynamics between the infrastructure layer and the application layer. It basically says that, you know, based on the infrastructure available today, really dictates what kind of applications can be built. But based on the future demands of applications, will dictate what kind of future infrastructure needs to be built. And that really comes in different cycles, right? Uh, maybe that on-prem to cloud was one cycle, the cloud to distribute is one cycle. Like, how would you explain what cycle we're in right now and kind of what the, the value proposition is for this new wave of technology? I think we're at the beginning of the distributed because products are now becoming more global mm -hmm. and less regional specific. So uh, going back to, say, games, they used to be North American made, North American audience, you know, Korean made, Korean audience. But now mm -hmm. people are living in so many different places and games are just resonating. So you've got players from all over the world, like look at Fortnite, right? Right. Uh, it needs to be high performance, low latency. So, and then let's just move on, just gaming, but, you know, IoT products or even things like Instagram or any of our modern applications, it wasn't mm -hmm. just built for the West, it's like people all over are using it. So as more people became, became online mm -hmm. and started using products that weren't just regional specific, but globally based, it almost requires a new structure of certain you know, infrastructure technologies that can actually make sure that the products perform fast mm -hmm. and are people the quickest. Right, yeah, and one thing that you guys preach at, uh, at Bluezell is this concept of you know, uh, catering to not only the blockchain, uh, industry, but also the serverless computing industry. Uh, what does that even mean? Like, what is a serverless application versus a server-based one? And, you know, what kind of new uh, opportunities are is that bringing? Serverless and decentralized, it's almost the same thing, mm -hmm. right? And what it means is people just don't want to run as much backends. And so, for example, I was talking to somebody and they said, hey, they've got a number of, they're, you know, they're doing everything serverless, which is serverless compute means Mm -hmm. They don't need to be managed all these instances. AWS can do it. And right. when, instead of the computer being on all the time and then being charged for it, it only charges them when that application is being used. Mm -hmm. So, for example, he said that, hey, we've got a bunch of applications for our company that everybody uses. Some are used less, some use it more. So the ones that are less, we still have to support it, but it wasn't worth the cost. Mm -hmm. or you know, having a whole backend set up for it. By going serverless, it means that, hey, only when it's turned on and that compute function is running to run that application, mm -hmm. that's when they're getting charged and renting it uh, and paying for it. Right, so, right. So it's really almost like an on-demand computing, I would say. Right, right. Go really expanding upon that you know, specialization, flexibility, and more on-demand kind of pay-as-you-go kind of services, right? Yeah, um, and that's just like, probably yeah. an overall trend of everything. You, you kind of summed it up well right there. That's true, that's true, yeah. Along that same theme, right, you know, one thing that is really clear in the past three years is, you know, 90% of all the new data has been generated just in the past few years. So, you know, given this massive influx of data, you know, how is the database industry service all this new data? I imagine that's really the, the focus of a lot of the big uh, tech giants like the Oracle's, uh, uh, SAPs, IBMs, how does all this new data really fit into the bigger picture? Oh, it, I mean, it's causing a, a huge ripple effect everywhere, right? Because now you're getting, you're collecting and consuming all this data. Uh, data has become like oil, right? Of people using it as value. So you're now you got analytics companies building on top of that. 
so right. they can better analysis, machine learning, that go over, you know, you guys are in this space, IoT is going to collect tons of data mm -hmm. and give it out. So it just, I think the, the database industry or data is just figuring out what are more efficient ways to manage and deliver that data to, um, you know, the owner of that data or the company so they can be better informed decisions. So I think it's making an effect on, hey, more data centers are needed around the world. Mm -hmm. to, uh, run all these data, so they need to be optimized themselves. How do you take that data and structure it or manage it in an efficient way that can be pushed to the user and all the, the players? So I think it's just requiring more and more efficiency, and I, that's why I think like distributed, decentralized methods are actually going to make it a lot easier. Right, and I'm wondering, you know, obviously I think you know everyone agrees that this distributed and decentralized method is is the future, right? But as far as how far into the future is still a little tricky to pinpoint because you know I'm, uh, even though this new technology is available, doesn't always mean that it's truly adopted on day one, right? I remember you know back in my consulting days, the last project that I did was for a big financial market utility, and that was just to move their data from on-prem to the cloud. And you know they were really really antsy about it until they got kind of some Finra, which is a big financial regulator. To a, they actually moved their data first to the cloud, which kind of presented this green light for everyone in the industry to do that. Um, but before that, they were running, you know, mainframe and DB2, which are very, you know, 20-year-old technologies. So, you know, the question is, is reliability still more important than performance? And where is that tipping point in the future? I think the tipping point, I mean, reliability is always, for the larger companies, they're going to go for that. I th it's going to be, and this is for all of us in the industry, I think it's going to be really around new applications that are being built. Mm -hmm. It's going to be hard for any of these, any platforms, and it's not just uh, databases, um, anybody in, you know, blockchain decentralized, to replace something that's existing and, like you said, reliable from these bigger companies. It's just, it's very hard. But right. as people are starting to build new applications, then now they're starting to explore what are better ways to do it. Like there's companies, that have said that they've gone completely serverless. Right. Uh, soon you'll see com companies, I'll say, you know, we only use decentralized technology because we see the benefit. But mm -hmm. I think it will be when company X really says, okay, we've got products out, we're building a new product or a new software application. What's a better way to do this? Right. Uh, and then they're going to start researching out, just like they did with cloud and everything else. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think it's really exciting times because, you know, all, it's almost like I think corporates are now in a new model of how they partner with startups. Like before a corporation partnering with a startup is just in M&A talks. Like I want to acquire your company so you don't like beat me out um, of the market. But now it's almost like, you know, corporations I feel are more receptive to learning about, you know, this distributed uh, wave of technology because they see a lot of the smaller players the smaller application builders, you know, kind of leapfrogging a lot of maybe the pain points that they've had in the past. Do you, do you have you kind of had the same experience in that sense? Yeah, I think, I think you nailed it is that the corporations now are looking at, Hey, how can we work with these smaller ones, learn, show, you know, educate themselves, uh, show that they're being, uh, I mean, have their innovations and instead of doing it all in house is like, Hey, who's out there already doing it? How can we work with them and basically leverage each other or partner up? So uh, I definitely see that kind of working and happening. I mean, we're, we're talking to several ourselves. Mm -hmm. And it's like, hey, we understand what we know. 
we want to get into space. If you can figure out like, you know, a specific market around there that we can work together and use your technologies to sell to our existing customers, mm-hmm. then, it, then they've got something innovative. Right. It's almost it's really, like, I guess, yeah, it, I guess it would be, sorry, it almost like, think of all those corporate, like we're all indie artists and, you know, we need to go to Spotify or Apple Music and saying, you're going to bring me reach and distribution. Uh, I'll bring you good content, put it out there. It's almost kind of like that model. It's like uh, those corporates opening up to that, saying they know what they're good at and let's work with the smaller companies. Right, exactly. You know, it's always so interesting to hear like, the story about how these industries evolve. And, you know, I think now that we have a good context on the history of databases, let's talk about more about the present, uh, starting with Bluezell. So, you know, you introduced it a little bit, but tell, tell us what is Bluezell and, you know, who is the team behind it? Yeah, so Bluezell is what you said. It's a decentralized database. Our goal is, hey, we're the database for next-gen applications of Web 3.0. Mm-hmm. Um, touched on, you know, we touched on those needs already of people who want to be, you know, they're globally diverse, multi-region. They don't want to, don't want to manage anything on the back end. So mm-hmm. products like ours, like a database like ours, needs to base needs to accommodate and fill those requirements. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was founded by myself. Uh, uh, Pavel and my CTO Neeraj, and uh, really like the, our history was quickest thing was a couple years ago we started just doing blockchain projects like dev work for banks, insurers, cutting our teeth, and then from that when we built certainly like smart contract or insurance applications and identity application, we had to use a traditional database and there's kind of some configuring done. Mm-hmm. And we thought well if we're building a decentralized application on a decentralized platform like Ethereum. Shouldn't the whole stack eventually start being decentralized? Mm-hmm. And we started looking at where some of the pain points or where the gaps were. And we're like, hey, a decentralized database could be a, something that's really well needed in the stack of an entire decentralized technology stack. Mm-hmm. And that's really how we got going and started exploring that. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I was just reading a little bit about uh, Luzel uh, last week. And I like this quote um, from actually the new Cypher CTO. Uh, it says uh, verbatim, Bluezell is working on what I think is the most practical approach to decentralized data storage, building a vital component for the future decentralized internet. So a lot of the themes that you just mentioned, but you know, help us break down this quote um, you know, around the two kind of clauses there. One is um, Bluezell is the most practical approach and, uh, to decentralized data storage. And the, the second is, is a vital component for the future decentralized internet. So you know, starting with, you know, why is it the most practical approach compared to maybe like an IPFS or a Filecoin or some of the other players in the space? And, you know, why is the work that all these companies are doing really crucial for the future of Web 3.0? Well, our approach is, so IPFS, Filecoin is really about file storage. Mm. So IPFS is more like AWS S3, right? Mm-hmm. Filecoin is going to be more like a Dropbox and make it more consumer friendly on that side. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'd be complementary because any application needs file storage, document storage, but they also need a database to run on. Right. So that's so, kind of the table structure, less of the physical storage, more of the query tools and the, the I guess, the drill down tools that uh, you guys offer. That's right. So any application needs, you know, both components. Now, our approach is traditionally something people say like, hey, just, you know, run the database like a blockchain. Um, But that can cause problems in the sense that if you have all these nodes out there and they all need to be kept in sync and data continues coming up, it could slow the network down a lot because you got 
let's say thousands of nodes that are, all need to be uh, in consensus. Right. So, and you don't want it in uh, the traditional block form because now you got speed and performance issues. So mm -hmm. what, we, uh, what we try to do is our approach is we're not a blockchain, but we're using blockchain principles of consensus of decentralization. And that might mean that, hey, consensus is only need on what we call like a swarm, like a small group of nodes mm -hmm. that they're quick, they can be sync with each other. And if they're all replicated and they're in sync, everything works well. Mm -hmm. And then uh, you can also have massive numbers of replica nodes out there where data can continuously be retrieved at a fast pace. So really it's about blending, taking the blockchain principles, but not the blockchain, and applying it to uh, the database structure. Yeah, so definitely trying to capture, you know, uh, the high throughput. Um, you know, if you have it replicated in too many places, then you can't capture that uh, kind of low latency, high throughput, but also the replicability of that database. So, you know, if one node in the swarm kind of goes out, you can still have the full set. Um, you know, yeah, it definitely makes sense. Um, yeah, so the next question I have is just on that topic, right, around high availability, high throughput, multi-region replication, and low latency are all kind of mission critical uh, for database service providers. Uh, I think we talked a little bit about, you know, how IPFS and Filecoin and some of the more data storage folks, um, you know, handle that storage part, but talk to us more around the analytics and kind of the, the add-on and the complementary features you have to uh, kind of these kind of data storage specific applications. Um, so we're, we're, like right now, we're not gonna, we're not doing analytics right now. It's like, hey, it's hard enough getting a database out there that's working. Right. Um, later on, once it's going, we can add, you know, either partner up with companies that can do that or build the, the tools ourselves. Um, but what we, like the focus is, like you said, you mentioned others, it's like, you're gonna, if somebody's building a new application, they're gonna have to pick, uh, you know, let's say they're building on, uh, on you guys, right? IOTX. Um, they're gonna to have to start figuring out, okay, where am I gonna store the files? What database am I gonna use? And the goal right. is really, hey, all the pieces are is, here's a decentralized database of Buzel, decentralized file storage might be just IPFS or Filecoin, good. Those things work together and now they've got a full decentralized stack. Right, yeah. absolutely, that totally makes sense. And I think uh, what you said around like decentralizing the entire stack is really interesting. Like, I love to see even people at the networking layer, like I guess what you call layer zero, Really trying to decentralize that and create, yeah, I mean, the, the future of Web3, uh, just not just one component, but kind of the combination of a lot of these uh, different forces. You know, as this is IOTalks, I wanted to jump into some more, you know, IoT-related topics. So, you know, everyone knows that IoT is a hugely data-heavy industry. You know, today there's about 10 billion IoT devices out there, and, you know, that number is anywhere, you know, there's a lot of different estimates around 50 billion or 100 billion devices in the coming years. Um, but not only are the number of the devices themselves increasing, but the capabilities, the amount of data, types of data that are coming out of them are you know, also increasing at a huge rate, right? So you know, uh, for an IoT developer, both in, I guess, the traditional space and the blockchain space, you know, how, do you, how do they go about choosing like, the right database solution for them? You know, are they differentiating based on real technical infrastructure differentiators or is it more the white glove service uh, that we're seeing today? Um, I think it's going to be <coughs> is the specific needs like I mean you guys know this IoT has become a catch-all for right. everything and there's certain IoT devices that's 
uh, serve certain needs. Just touching on the exponential increases, you know, 5G networks is only going to increase the number of IoT devices. Mm -hmm. As you mentioned, IoT devices are limited in computing and storage ability. Just a simple device that's, um, I don't know, tracking some biking in a remote area and maybe that information there and no need to share it out would be not the best one. But Mm -hmm. as a database, if you do have multiple devices that need to be talking and sharing information in real time, and a lot of that data is unstructured, and that's where like a Bluezell type of database comes in. That's right. those are the pain points that we solve. Where they're really wanting that high performance and storage, and if that customer is really at the edge and giving that information, like the IoT device is closest to the customer, that's mm-hmm. where you solve those problems. Right, right. I mean, you guys mentioned edge computing a little bit, right? Well, I was watching, I was rewatching kind of the the Silicon Valley TV show, and you know they had put. Uh, a whole database on like a decentralized network of smart fridges, um, which you can kind of call as like a kind of an edge storage uh, database solution. I mean, is that the vision for the future of decentralized databases? It's like any device that um, can support the table structure and has the physical storage can be part of this global storage network, or is it more still concentrated to you know uh, capable machines? It, um, no, that, I mean, that would be the ultimate vision is that yeah. every device, whether it's a console, a mobile phone, um, you've got all these devices out there with tons of storage on them or yeah. capacity. We should be able to network all of them and have them being in use. It's just a matter of making it accessible. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think in the context maybe of that, you know, we have to pick secure devices, obviously, right? Like security in the context of blockchain is like hyper important. Um, but, you know, blockchain itself kind of is an unencrypted data structure that guarantees its trust and its uh, integrity through kind of replication and openness, right? And I guess in the context of a you know, decentralized database, um, that requires some pretty fine-grained access controls. Like, how do you guys uh, think about the consumer data privacy implications? And are you guys kind of offering those uh, kind of modules or services to uh, users in the future? Yeah, those, uh, I, I think there's other ones working on it. Like we had these concepts before of ideas that we can potentially do once it's full databases, like a data wallet. Mm-hmm. So, hey, that's, you know, my data, my information. If Instagram or Facebook wants to do it, I can authorize it. Mm-hmm. And let's say I want to go off that service, I cut off authorization. So they're never actually storing or keeping their own data of me. It's always in my data wallet. Right. using information because I'm yeah. using a free product from them. So uh, I think those, those are the type of concepts uh, that, hey, either maybe in the next, you know, once your database is out there, we can build those ourselves or other people are building data, data walls and saying, hey, put that on top of us. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I love that concept around, you know, consumers having the choice to selectively share their data or keep it fully private or buy, sell, trade it as they so choose, you know, what kind of, um, you know, on the technology side, I see it um, pretty linearly, right? I think this, we're trending towards that, but there's also kind of the social change and social constructs of, you know, flipping the model, like get a uh, consumer change and changing anyone's behavior is obviously very hard, but that's a very big one. Like, do you think, like what, what kind of uh, things will really turn the tide there? Is it gonna be incentives based? Is it gonna be kind of, uh, follow follow the leaders type of style or you know how do we get towards uh that vision of a more consumer owned world 
I don't, I don't think it's going to be incentive based. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to be just a breaking point where people, even in the past year, people are becoming more and more aware of privacy. And I mean, all these products that they're using, we're doing all this stuff for the past 10, 12 years. Yeah. Coming more people are like, well, what are they really doing? And they're questioning it and choosing how they share their information or what they do with certain free based products. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's a matter of incentivization. It's going to be just like kind of a, a tipping point where people are like, okay, enough's enough. I'm not, this has gone too far and yeah. I want to be controlling my data. Maybe on the incentive side, I guess it could be where is that I still know, like, let's say you're using a free product like Instagram and they need to, you know, support that. Uh, maybe the incentive is that, hey, okay, I'll give you access to my data. And if you resell mm-hmm. it, make sure I just get a portion of it back, right? Like, right, right. Basically, it's like a bank. I'm depositing my data there. You're borrowing it, making money. At least give me some, a bit of a return for having it on there. Yeah. So maybe that, that's, that's the model. Right, right. And I think that's really interesting. I mean, I'm really excited to see how that kind of the whole battle plays out, right? You have kind of regulation based in Europe right now in relation yeah. to consumer data. You have kind of, I guess you would say government based even in China, right? China doesn't really have the, the openness of, you know, consumer controls. And I guess you can call it in America and the North American uh, countries, it's more corporation based, right? It's like you have these huge tech giants that really set the rules for how data privacy and data management is, is used in the traditional world. So seeing how those dynamics really play out would be really interesting. And maybe the, the correct answer is, you know, a global standard, right? You know, nothing that has to do with, um, you know, region specific regulations, but uh, a global alternative that people can own their data on this kind of decentralized infrastructure. Do you kind of agree with that uh, sentiment? I mean, that would be, that'd be fantastic, right? Where individuals have the power and have their data, like they're running it like their own wallets, right? Financial, mm-hmm. but it's like, hey, data is the finance, it's the new money, let me be able to use that. And then, I mean, if we're all building out these infrastructures and doing all these things where the products can talk and communicate to each other, mm-hmm. it's uh, that's gonna really trigger that along and make it a lot easier. And mm-hmm. maybe it'll just become, you know, by the time my kids grow up, it'll just be normal for them to have their own data wallet and how they rent it out or sell it, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I wanted to mention uh, or ask about the business model of Bluezell. So, you know, as an open source project like like IOTEX and some of the other, most of the other players in this space, you know, it's not really the uh, the IP itself in a way because it's fully open source, but kind of the community that's built around it and also kind of the adoption of that uh, open source standard, right? So, you know, in addition to the data wallet, um, you know, what are the kind of the other business models you're investigating with Bluezell? And, um, you know, what does the Bluezell token uh, kind of represent in kind of this uh, incentive structure that we've been talking about? Yeah, in the, I mean, in the short term, the, the token is really about buying storage, right, on our network. Mm-hmm. And be able to do what, uh, you know, store X amount of gigabytes, mm-hmm. this is how you're going to pay. Uh, in the future, like I said, is building different applications or products on top, which could be like, like you said, a data wallet, maybe a data marketplace mm-hmm. where people can come, trade, give that information. Uh, those would be like the different type of use cases. Or it could be also is, hey, when we're working with, you know, companies like yourselves, uh, maybe even distributed cloud, distributed cloud platforms that mm-hmm. open swaps can easily be used by other products. Um, I think anybody who's doing 
if we're all you know doing the same use cases and you it should be just like easily used by anybody in the in our selective ecosystems right yeah so we talked a lot about the past and the present of databases and now let's jump forward to the future so you know we talked a little bit about you know what the future vision in 20 years looks like but you know specifically within the scope of databases right imagine that you know all the things that Bluezell wants to do um, between now and the next five years is completed you know what does the world look like and how does that really shift uh, the industry Oh, wow. I mean, that's uh, five years out, as you said, everything's changing so rapidly uh, in our blockchain crypto technology communities that it's yeah. hard to even envision that. Um, I do think that we'll have, I mean, whether they're decentralized applications or serverless or just regular ones, I think everybody is going to start seeing the benefits of a decentralized model of mm -hmm. infrastructure. Um, that is just... The same reasons like people won't even know it's more safe more secure more reliable networks always available so mm -hmm. i think you're definitely going to see that so uh that's where bluezell will basically be that lead and i think what not just as a database but evolving that you just become not just an infrastructure company like i said it's open source but whatever the applications that we can run with it so mm -hmm. that would go into you know data analytics which companies we partner with or build ourselves or acquire is uh, having those on there um, mm -hmm. you know big data you know how that uh, parlays into it so right. i don't think I, I don't i think the future will be you won't just be a database company uh database companies will evolve down with being like kind of the full stack of what else they can offer right and customers so they can just go to them and get everything they need Right. They'll just be data companies and storage and management will just be one aspect of it. Right. I mean, as, as kind of like the core foundational component, right, like storage and databases, these services can kind of be made to other service providers. They can be built for application builders, built for platforms or, you know, across the board. So yeah. see how that kind of evolves. You know, as a service provider, what's your sales strategy right now for uh, those service applications and uh, blockchain applications? Yeah, so uh, this is where it's really exciting. I mean, you guys, you know, you get the product out there. It's starting to work. Uh, you know, we can do, you know, start working with companies one-on-one, -on -one, regular startup stuff, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so the areas that we're looking at is obviously blockchain that, hey, which of the, you know, in the next you know, month we'll be integrated into several of them. So we can say, hey, if you're building a DAP on there, come to Bluezell. We've got a tier that you can use. Often storage, it should be it should accommodate your needs. So, and basically, say instead of using MongoDB or DynamoDB from Amazon, use us because we're built for the blockchain. Right. Another one is finding those specific use cases, whether they're uh, you know serverless applications, because like I said, Zelle is could be a serverless database. So, mm -hmm. what are the things people are building there, and they want uh, those requirements? So, I get. I guess let me take it a step back. Mm -hmm. The main things that we're really good at is going to be simple deployment so that people can just easily connect to us like a network. They don't have to deploy anything. Everything's already out there. Get going. Second is instant scalability. So like I said, addressing the whole thing of worldwide needs. Customers are everywhere. You just want to be able to scale on demand and have no management on the back end. Mm -hmm. uh, third would be, hey, uh, multi-region and multi-cloud support. So Hey, we're not just 
replicated on AWS. It could be on a you know a different distributed cloud uh, computing system, cloud based, mm -hmm. or it could be on Google or a decentralized one. Doesn't matter. And then uh, pushing data to the edge. So once that'd be the fourth, and then obviously the fifth one would be like instead of trying to guess what your costs are, like these five to ten parameters. Mm -hmm. Hey, what regions are you in? What's the storage need? Keep it easy. Now taking all that back is, okay, who does that apply to? And the things that we saw were, obviously, is uh, gaming and media streaming. So we're testing that with them. Because games are on a global audience, streaming media, even if it's, let's say, Bollywood films. People in India aren't just watching them. They're watching them in J Japan, Korea, right. Brazil. And then, uh, obviously, IoT, right? Talking to you, you know, companies like yourself is, yeah. hey, who needs that support? Who's covering? Who's collecting all these unstructured data that they need to have managed better? So those are the specific use cases we see: is uh, uh, blockchain, IoT, uh, gaming, media streaming, and then looking at the service area. Definitely, no, that totally makes sense. Kind of the, the high volume data industries that are really growing and adopting new technologies faster than others. You know, how do you guys think about um, uh, tailoring your roadmap to what's happening today? while also really not looking or losing sight of the bigger picture. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny is because all of us, we wrote these roadmaps like, you know, yeah. a year and a half, two years ago. Mm -hmm. And just like any startup, you're learning new, and these are all breakthrough technologies. So yeah. you have these guesses that you're making and you're just learning and changing things as you can to adapt to what you need there. Mm -hmm. So uh, for us, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, we updated our roadmap uh, a few months ago and saying, okay, what do we got to get done for now? Like we realized that, hey, BlueZell can be used as a cache first and then as a database. Now we're getting closer that the database is ready, integrate to other blockchains. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we'll be updating our white paper and uh, roadmap based on that because of the new information over the past year. So uh, the, the eventual goal, the goal always is basically decentralized, fast performance, Security, that's all there. Now, how it goes about of which target markets or where you find uh, probably changes along the way in meeting those needs. I mean, right. like for you guys, like, IoT is, it's really a catch-all term. You're probably even finding segments within IoT that you guys are best at for now. Yeah. And so you'll be the full IoT platform, right? Right. I mean, I think some learnings, I just got back from a trip from Europe and it's really refreshing to go to these different regions. Uh, obviously, Europe in the summer is great. But, you know, we learned a lot about, you know, I think in uh, Americas and in Asia, they think more of like a romanticized version of blockchain in a way where they're still thinking about the very futuristic use cases around like, okay, what if all our medical records were on the blockchain and interoperable and, you know, in an IoT space, you know, uh, what if I, no one could hold my data and I can have the same user experience as I have today? You know, very great things and all things we're shooting for, but you know, Europe kind of has this uh, approach of like, you know, okay, what's available now? I want it, right? Like in the context of IOTEX, you know, we're working on a lot of IoT and privacy things. They just want private data storage for their IoT networks. You know, they don't have to really interoperate with many other folks, but they just want to keep their data out of the hands of, you know, maybe some service providers or like trusted intermediaries that weren't so trusted, right? So, you know, simplifying the the case and presenting them almost as like, you know, this is available today. Kind of the strategy you guys have was starting with caching and then moving on to more advanced things. But 
yeah, I think it's also tricky to communicate that uh, approach to the community that's looking for, um, you know, the, the hypey kind of news. But yeah, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on overall that? And does that kind of resonate with some of the things you're doing at Buzel? Well, I mean, like I said, uh, what we did before was, hey, it's a full database. Mm-hmm. First use case with cash, can we perfect that and make that speed mm-hmm. while perfecting the rest of the, the database, which we'll be rolling out soon that, hey, it's a full NoSQL database. Mm-hmm. Here's the cases you can do. And we're updating everybody on that soon. Now, going back to your thing is, yeah, ideologically, we all uh, would love it if it was, hey, I want my data super private. It's censorship resistant. Mm-hmm. It's always available. But when you actually go talk to customers, what we found was, those pain, they already they already assume that it's available, it's secure. What mm-hmm. was really resonating for us was, hey, it can be multi-region, multi-region right away, and we don't have to spin stuff up, and it does that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it can be, uh, you know, no operations, basically no ops, no backend management is used as a service, and it goes where it needs to. Those are really the two things that really hit home. Is like, if you're building a product that's multi-region, mm-hmm. and, uh, reduce the impact on your IT and overhead or back end, this is what this is what you need right now. Right, right. And I think it comes down to the it's almost a little subjective around like, you know, there's a there's saying in the tech industry that, you know, for a, a product to replace its incumbent product, it needs to be nine times better than the original product. <laughs> and that's subjective though, right? Because as you said, some people are just looking for something that, you know, some people are operating on dinosaur technology right now and everything that we're talking about is already nine times better. It's just a matter of, you know, uh, cost and kind of how to, to get into that picture. But um, we're yeah, looking forward to seeing, you know, I, I think the point I'm trying to make here is as we keep on evolving, we're going to hit that nine times eventually. Okay. And that's where that adoption, mass adoption really come from. Oh, yeah. It's, I think it's... Uh... Either you can sit there and wait a couple of years and hope you get that nine times and then go to market, or you can do yeah. like we are they're constantly testing, going out to market, talking to people and saying, mm-hmm. okay, where can we fit in now? Right. Our eventual goal is to have that full, you know, uh, you know, our romanticized uh, end goal is still there, but yeah, you got to take some of those baby steps on the way. Right. Absolutely. Well, you know, Pablo, I had a great time talking with you. We talked all things about the past, present, and future of databases. Um, you know, I think uh, I would like to end these kind of conversations with something forward-looking, like a bold prediction for this next year in crypto, uh, whether that's uh, BlueZell specific or just kind of industry focus. Uh, what can we look forward to uh, in this year? Uh, in 2019 or by the end of 2020? <laughs> yeah, let's, let's say August uh, 2020. I think we're going to have uh, a bunch of platforms, uh, you know, products, like infrastructure products are going to be there. And I th- let's see. I think you'll have a lot of mid-sized companies mm-hmm. coming up and want to compete with uh, like the larger ones right. starting to adopt a lot of these technologies. It might not be the biggest like Fortune 100 out there, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of high value companies that are doing $100 million in sales. Right. And- they're not running IoT stuff. I mean, IT stuff. Don't want the back ends, or they're start. It's like they can start using some of these decentralized technologies to further advance themselves. So I think that will probably end up being this uh, a sweet spot. Yeah, I definitely agree. I'm excited to see that too because you know I think I've always said that a strong 
set a strong consortium of small to medium businesses is a much better use case for a blockchain than an enterprise, right? Unless the enterprise has very disparate business units that are disconnected and you know lack trust between those, but it's really about the greater good. So definitely looking forward to seeing more of that. Um, you know, before we jump off, any final thoughts for the communities? Yeah, I want to say hey, thanks everybody for listening in, uh, supporting projects like you know Iotex and Bluezell. Uh, we're all building cool fundamental parts of the you know the full ecosystem that we're all going. All these technologies are going to be working with each other. So right. uh, the best thing they do is like, hey, the, the open support, and then hey, they're finding customers or find target ones, pinging them and saying, hey, start using these products. That's that's probably the best thing for all of us getting adoption. Absolutely. And maybe it's a good time to announce, you know, we're working on a uh, uh, first integration of Bluezell into IoTech's network. So excited to, you know, share the results of, of that work. Um, you know, how can, we, how can people find out more about Bluezell, Pablo? Uh, easiest is obviously go to uh, bluezell.com, you know, and just get the basic information. But going to uh, Twitter and our Telegram channels and talking to us, uh, that's really good. And, uh, you know, basically that's how we're, and we've got our blog, just like everybody else. And, you know, aside from announcing with you guys over the next couple of weeks, showing, hey, which other platforms we're supporting. Because our goal is just to be, you know, a, an efficient off-chain storage for platforms like IOTEX and saying, okay, we've got this covered and now we can get more customers together. And really it's all about that is all, all is working together to get traction, right? Absolutely. Definitely. And, you know, we'll keep the communities updated on our progress. Thanks so much to Pavel for joining and make sure to subscribe to uh, IOTech's YouTube for more IOTalks. Thanks so much, Pavel. We'll talk soon. Thanks,